Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. remain standing for the reading of the word. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? Is it the spirit? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew that from the beginning, from the beginning, those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Do I not, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is John 6, 60 through 71. Um, Lord, sometimes these words are really hard and, um, I just pray that you would give us humility to receive the word and that you would speak, um, this morning through scripture, speak through Brent, speak through your spirit to our hearts. Um, and Lord, we come to you just knowing that you are life and that you have breathed life into, um, our spirits, and we praise you for that. And um, yeah, we just glorify you this morning and lift up this time to you. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you. He has risen. All right. That's right. These three words mean so very much to us, depending upon what our overall response is to Jesus the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We, we hear these words, and this is a day like today, we celebrate resurrection, the fact that Jesus did not stay in the tomb after a Good Friday. We celebrate the life that comes from that. Resurrection is a part of this incredibly long, elaborate, entirely true bit of history for us. 2,000 years ago, this day was a day that was perplexing, but so joyful, a day that, that changed all the sadness that many felt into ex- inexpressible confusion and excitement. It was an incredible day. The scriptures teach that we're separated from God and are in desperate need of a sacrifice to pay for the penalty of all of our sins. We, we need someone to do that, and Jesus is that sacrifice. He's fully God. He's fully man. His, he lived a perfect life for 30 years, 30 plus years here, and died a horrific death in place of us sinners so that all who believe in him would have eternal life because of the work that he has done putting our submission into Jesus brings us into a right relationship with God. 
But really, this news is only really good news if we have the right response to Jesus. We have been uh, working through the scriptures in John chapter 6, and instead of jumping out of it for Resurrection Sunday, I think we're just going to stay in it, especially since you heard it. We just read it. You see a varying of responses to Jesus. You see people that are literally being called the Satan, the betrayer, as in Judas's case. You see people throughout his ministry that, that attribute his works to Satan, just running and fleeing from him. And you see people that had been following him for a long time that start to, to diminish or, or get away, even as Amanda was praying, that, that sometimes it's just, it's just a really hard truth. We see all kinds of responses to Jesus. And so instead of jumping out, I figured we'd just kind of stay in this section. And, and the, the part before this in John 6, Jesus has been teaching kind of elaborate amount of stuff in a synagogue in Capernaum. And in teaching, he's, he's been saying things like, um, I have descended from heaven, or I am greater than Moses in the ways he's talking about the manna and, and those things. He's, he's talked about how if you really want life, eternal life, it comes only through him. These are all things that would have been really harsh and hard for anyone to hear in this day. goes on and says something. He said, to really live, you must feast on me. You must eat my, eat my body and, and eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. These are some really difficult things. And when John 6 comes in in verse 16, it says, and the disciples, something we have to understand is most of the time in Scripture when we see the disciples, it's speaking of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. Jesus. But disciples is a term that's used all over Scripture, especially in the New Testament too. We see that there are disciples of Moses still. There are disciples of John the Baptist. There are disciples of Pharisees. And really, a disciple is just someone who attaches themselves to a teacher as a learner. It doesn't really speak of their devotion to the person they've attached themselves to. Just as they have attached themselves there and are choosing to learn. Learn from God or from these people in this situation. And these disciples, they, they, it comes out in this text and says, so this is a really hard teaching. And the, the word hard here is better sounding kind of, of, of harsh or offensive. The words that Jesus is saying are, are, are offending people. And what's happening is we see all kinds of different responses to Jesus. What better way to talk about the resurrection than realizing what our response to the resurrection should be? See, these people hear all that Jesus has taught in Capernaum, and they're like, it's just, it's too hard. And we see one of the saddest verses in verse 66 that many, many leave. It's not like they walk away like, I, okay, I can't listen to this anymore. It's that they walk and they leave him for good. They reject him and his teaching. It, Jesus goes on here, even after them, and they're saying this. He's like, well, if this is hard, if what I've taught is hard, how much crazier would it be if you saw the Son of Man ascending back into heaven? This statement is profound. It's, it's provocative because in this statement alone, Jesus saying that, there's so much metaphor to it. It's, it's talking about him being risen up on a cross, which is another really offensive thing, the Messiah being crucified. But it's also a, a direct declaration that I cannot ascend if I have not descended. I am God. And it's on that statement that they're like, peace out, I'm done. I want nothing to do with this. See, Jesus' movement towards the cross, which is his glorification, is also his movement heavenward. Returning to the glory he enjoyed from the beginning, the full glorification is complete, is the complete picture of Jesus' death, the cross, the resurrection, and ascension. That the disciples now must 
understand. Not only will he die, but he will return to heaven. It is through this complete work of Christ that we may have life. And this is what Jesus has been teaching all along. He goes on to say, look, the words I'm speaking, they're not of the flesh, they're of the Spirit. The very things that I'm teaching are life-giving because they come from the Spirit of God. You must eat of me. You must take me as the bread of life. I'm the one that brings that true eternal life, not physical life. The flesh doesn't give life. One of the, the clearest characterizations of the Spirit of God, especially in the Old Testament, everyone else, is, is the giver of life. We see that in Genesis 1, Ezekiel. That life comes through the Spirit, and Jesus' words are the Spirit's words. Jesus could do nothing apart from the Father. He's doing his will. When Jesus says this, this is probably an allusion to Jeremiah 15, 16. One scholar says it this way. He says, where the prophet addresses God, when your words came, I ate them. They were my, my, my joy and my heart's delight. One cannot feed on Christ without feeding on Christ's words. Hear that. You, you can't have Jesus without having his teachings. You can't live a life that says, I obey and surrender myself to you, Jesus, while ignoring everything that he says and teaches. It makes no sense. He goes on and says, For truly believing Jesus cannot be separated from truly believing Jesus' words. Human beings live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So really what we're seeing here in this text is the same thing that we've seen for years around the resurrection. The responses, the different responses that people have to resurrection, it, it tells us what this day really means. Is it, is it a day of joy? Is it a day of sorrow? Is it a day of just annoyance? Is it just another day that you just kind of go through the motions? Depending upon who Jesus is to us and what that really means for us shows in our response. Jesus reminds him, he says, look, I, I, I chose you 12. He reminds him that even those that are in there, that, that Judas is, is the Satan, the, the betrayer in this moment. That the people that were closest to Jesus and then the people that were still really close to him, walked with him for a couple years, still ultimately walked away from him saying, no more, I cannot handle this. It's offensive. How dare you, Jesus, try to alter my life? Tell me what I have to do. Make the only way to God through you. How dare you? And people reject that and run from that. This isn't new. Jesus has taught this over and over again. It's not just in the response. He does it through a parable. He says in, in Matthew 13, 3 through 8, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds, though, fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus is talking about the way that the gospel worked into people's lives. Some will show life immediately and seem excited only to the first trial, the first difficulty, the first bit of sifting that comes to abandon ship and run. We see these different responses, people that fake it, pretend it, people that are infatuated with Jesus but not really in love with Jesus, people that like the idea of Jesus as long as he doesn't disrupt their life. These kind of responses are all over. 
We see them all over in ourselves, in the way we live our lives, in our friends, in our families. Maybe some of you here today, you're like, I don't know what I believe. And for, for a time, you have been spending either rejecting Jesus' truth or being in close enough proximity to him because you're intrigued by him, but not really fully surrendering yourself to him. And we see this all over. In fact, G, uh, John, in 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us. There were many people that were leaving the church and John and the people were getting dejected and kind of sad by this and saying, how can they leave? How can they run from God? What's going on? And John says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, this is based on the promise that we just read in John 6 last week that Jesus will not lose one of his own. So it's not even based on my own merit or these people's doing. The, the understanding, the reason why John could say they were not of us is because Jesus does not lose his children or does not lose those who God gives him who are God's children. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, when we continually look to other things for life, we reject his truths. When we continually respond to Jesus out of intrigue but not submission, we aren't really surrendered to him. We aren't feasting on him. We are, we are nibbling at him, yet still trying to fill our bellies with something else, with another religion, with another relationship. We continually see ourselves pretending or faking it. And I know very few people would say, like, show of hands, who feels like they're fake following Jesus? I don't, don't, do it, don't raise your hand, right? Very few people would say that. But here's the thing, and here's how we know. And, and unfortunately, this last year has shown this to be more true than my heart can handle at times. If you're not surrendered to Jesus, if you're not feasting on Jesus, if your life is not in him as the bread and the water, as, the, as we believe and come to him, if you're not there, then you are just one hardship, one pandemic, one difficulty from rejecting him and fleeing. Life gets too hard. It's like, I'm out. This is just too offensive. Living for Jesus is just too hard. It'd be so much easier to just let myself fall into this line of thinking than really try to, to ride this out with Jesus' teachings. Really, it's interesting. If you think about it, there's really only one response to Jesus that, that is right and that matters. And it's actually the response of Peter. I, I love that Peter gives us this here. Jesus kind of in a moment after seeing thousands. Now picture, this is the same crowd that just the day before were trying to take him and make him a king. Been fed to just full upon full with like bellies that are just like happy. And this whole crowd that's excited about him, literally chasing him around the lake to find him again. And this crowd leaves, runs, walks away from him, heads down, some maybe angry at him, some cursing him. How dare he teach this way? And they walk away, and Jesus in this moment turns to the 12, and he says, what about you guys? And the way he asks it, with the negative in the Greek that it's done, it's almost not like, again, he's aware, he's fully God, but it's almost like, are you two? Do you two want to leave now? Is this too hard for you? And I love Peter's response, because Peter's response is, is the response that I hope all of us have and probably all of us have wrestled with because Peter's response isn't like, no, we're not going anywhere. Peter's response almost comes across like he's actually thought of the alternatives. Have you ever thought about it? He's like, well, where else will we go? 
Where else would we go? I, I've thought about it. I've, I've thought long and hard because your teachings are hard. It is difficult to stomach. It's, it's really hard. But where else are we going to go for life? Where else can we go? You are the Holy One of God. This term is used all over in the Old Testament, speaking of God. 30 times in the book of Isaiah, the Holy One of Israel, and it's an attribution to God. And, and Peter, in a moment of brilliance, because God has given him this wisdom, declares Jesus for who he really is, the giver of life, God, and the only way to God. And he says, where else will we go? It's almost like he's like, I've tried everything else. I've seen it. And if you're here today and you've, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you remember, if you did it late in your life, you remember, like, I, I kind of looked for everything else and nothing else was it. In fact, there's, there's probably some of you here today that are considering running from Jesus because you feel like you've looked at all from him. You're like, I'm going to go look somewhere else. And the sad thing about that road is that ultimately it's still going to lead you back to where the only spot that you can get life is, is in Jesus. But Jesus respo- or Peter's response is wonderful. He says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. And this is not a physical belly full life. This is an eternal life. The life that we all long to have, not are we alive, but are we living? That's the life he's talking about here. See, the feasting on Jesus as the bread of life, by Jesus using this metaphor, by him speaking into this, he's saying, he's equating himself as the bread, the essential, the, the, the essential life force that is needed for life. He's essential to it. Not physical life, but eternal life. He is the spiritual bread that brings eternal life. One feet, when one feasts on him, we do so by coming and believing in Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He says, coming to Jesus involves forsaking the world and following him. Believing in Jesus means placing your faith in him so that he who is he, or knowing that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and that he is the only one who can. Jesus says, those who come to me will never hunger or thirst again because our, our souls are satisfied in him. So if you're here today and you're hungry, Spiritually, then you have not feasted on Jesus. You've been in close proximity. You'd be one of the disciples that says, this is just too offensive. I'm out. When you've feasted on Jesus, you realize you lose your, your taste for the material things. You realize that, that they're, they're a common grace or they're good, but they're not, they're not the end. They're secondary and a long secondary from the point of Jesus. So what does it mean for us to feast on Jesus? I think a few things. The first thing is it means we have to die to ourselves. It says this in, in Luke 9. He says, and he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Die to yourself daily. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, and, and loses or forfeits himself? There is no resurrection without death. You must see that. That means the very same for us as well. There is no new life for us without dying to ourselves. Danny and I were talking about this this week, and he said it this way. He says, giving our life entirely to the Lord, sometimes if we're not careful, we can transition to only seeing God as someone who has given his life for us and not also seeing the need for us to, to die. 
See, when we see your, ourselves giving your life entirely to the Lord, as well as Him dying for you, you start to see how your life matches up with His. I have been crucified with Christ and resurrected with Christ. You start seeing it match up. When you only see God as giving His life, the, the danger is, if you don't see you giving yours, the best you'll get is little tiny fragments, pictures of God's in your life, not the real thing. Feasting on Jesus takes relying on him for life alone. We see this in Galatians 2, 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gets even clearer in, in John chapter 8. Uh, verses 31, he talks about how if you want to be my true disciple, then you will, you will endure, you will stay with me. You will persevere through this. You will, you will continue in his word. Those are the true disciples of Jesus. So are you feasting on Jesus? Now I know in a room this size, especially on Resurrection Sunday, that many people come to church because they haven't been for a long time or they just come because it happened to line up with the 1.2 Sundays you like to attend on a monthly basis, and that's okay too. But there's something that's really important for us to know. And I think this is really important for us, is, is that when I say if you're feasting on Jesus, it does not mean you have it figured out or perfectly. If you are here and you are his, take heart. Know that you are in the Lord's kingdom. You are held there by Jesus Christ, not by your own doing. And, and again, Peter is, is, is fantastic for us in this because Peter does something profoundly atrocious at the end of Jesus' life. Just after he has literally declared, where else will we go? He goes somewhere else. He says, this is the third time. It, it, we see it, the, speaking of Jesus, right standing outside of Jesus' illegal trial in the middle of the night. He says it's the third time, and after he says this, Jesus sees him. And they look face to face. I can't imagine the pain that Peter felt in that moment. But speaking of Jesus, he says for the third time after he's denied the first two, he says, I invoke a curse on myself and swear I do not know this man. This is the one that just said, where else will we go? A year earlier, 10 months earlier. You have the words of life. Where can we go? This is such a good promise for those who are in Christ. Recognize this. Hear me on this, please. It's going to be hard. You may live your life tomorrow as if you don't believe that he is the bread of life. But rest assured, if you are his, there is no getting out of it. You will be his. I think it's important for us, especially with the year that we've had, thinking about it as, as crazy as it was. Jonathan and I were talking about this before uh, services we were praying, we were talking about how last year it was me standing up here to a camera with an empty room. It's been a hard year. It's been a really hard year. We are meant to be together. I'm glad that those of you who are online are online with us. That's awesome, but we are meant to be together. Life is hard, but the scriptures don't promise it easy. 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 4 8 through 9 and 13 through 14 says this, we are afflicted in every way. In every way. Not some ways, in every way. But rest assured, we're not crushed. Perplexed, confused, what's going on? But not driven to despair. 
persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then in verse 13, he says, I believed and so I spoke. This is the Apostle Paul. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And yes, we may be perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. And yes, we may be persecuted, but we will not be forsaken. And yes, it is going to be hard. He goes on, and I love this. He goes on for a second. He goes, in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away. Can I get an amen for that, right? We all feel that. We all feel the wasting away, the eyesight, the body, everything's falling apart. We all feel that. Though it is wasting away, our inner self, our soul is being renewed day by day. Why? Because we have feasted on the bread of life for this light. And I love, love that the Lord let the Apostle Paul write this one. Light momentary affliction. Have you looked at his life? He's like literally left beaten to dead almost three times, shipwrecked multiple times, bitten by snakes. It's like the dude is doing God's work and he is just beaten and beaten and beaten. And he calls it light momentary. Why? Because our entire life is a vapor. Every breath we take is just momentary. And he goes on and says something so powerful for us. If we don't hear this, please, please hear this. He says, this, for this light momentary, Affliction is preparing us, what? For an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the, eternal, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that the eternal glory far outweighs our worst suffering. No matter how bad your suffering is, the eternal glory is that much greater. It's not making light of your suffering. You might have immense suffering, horrific suffering. Suffering. Some of you have felt despair. He's just saying, yeah, your sufferings may be weighted, but knowing the end of the story puts them into perspective because we know that no matter how big our suffering is, God's glory, the eternal glory, is that much bigger. Jesus said our sorrows will turn into joy. Not just be followed up by joy, but transformed into joy. Have you thought about that? Think of it. For God's children, what is now pain will ultimately be transfigured into both glory and joy. Now, if that's not an amazing promise worth saying, where else should we go? I don't know what is. No matter how big our troubles are in this world, eternal glory is always bigger. Now here's the thing. There are some of you in here today and maybe some of you online or, or maybe someone that will listen to this podcast at some point down the road that have not surrendered your life to Jesus. You have, you have even, some of you have oriented your life to where you have put yourself in as close of proximity as you can to Jesus while not fully surrendering to him. I would be doing you a disservice to not tell you that that's not enough. I would be doing a disservice. Like I said earlier, if you are not surrendering your life to Jesus, if you've not come to him for the bread of life, if you've, not, if you've not taken your works out of it and recognize that it's his work on the cross that allows you to even work for him afterwards, if you've not done that, then you're trying to, to make your own kind of way to Jesus and it still ends without life in him. 
But here's the best part. I would argue with you. If, you could, if I could know who you were, I could sit you down in your face, I'd look you right in the eyes and I'd say, look, you're here, not on accident. God is drawing you out. The fact that you're in this room, the fact that you're online, the fact that you're listening to this, God is drawing you out. He is saying to you, I will bring you life. You will be mine and I will be yours. All it takes is for you to confess. Romans 10.9 says, confess with your mouth. Acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, supreme control of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So don't waste any more time. Stop looking for life in material things. It will not be found. Stop pretending that you know better than the Most High King. Listen to just a few of the things that are true of us in Christ. If you confess, if you acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in being saved, guess what else? You are right before God or righteous. You are set apart or holy. You are blameless. You are forgiven. You are justified or not guilty. You are united to him and no longer a slave to sin with the outcome of death. You are made alive into him, free from condemnation and walking according to the spirit, not the flesh. We are part of a body of Christ with other believers, which we are experiencing right now. We possess a new heart and have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and we are set free. It means we are deemed co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what salvation means. That's what resurrection means. Why waste our life on anything else? So who is Jesus to you? How we respond? Will you respond as this is just too hard of a teaching? It's just a little too harsh. I'm a little offended by you. How dare you tell me I must change my life? How dare you tell me that I must die daily to walk as a part of your kingdom? Or will you say with Jesus, or will you say with Peter, where else will we go? You have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. And surrender yourself to him. Really, there is no response that will, suffice, that will suffice other than belief in Jesus. Even being in close proximity, even kind of walking along with him, giving your money and doing your works and hoping that that's enough without fully surrendering your life to Jesus is not going to get you anywhere. Jesus' resurrection puts everything into its proper life. We can live in a way that doesn't let fear rule us. We can live as a people who have hope. And now hear me on this. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not using hope as in wishful thinking, like I hope I get a ham later today. Okay? When the Bible talks about hope, it's a concrete, foundational, strong thing. It's, it's coming to fruition. And this is the hope the scriptures teach. Hope in anything else is foolish. Stop putting your hope in finances or health or people or politics or relationships or marriage or kids or 401ks. Stop putting your hope in anything other than Jesus. Our hope should only rest in the resurrection of Jesus, in the gospel, the good news. He's the only one that will never let us down, that will never fail us, and he is the only one that is worth living this life for. Let us press on with hope that transcends our circumstances. And let us, let us recognize that no difficulty will ever overtake the hope that we have. Here's the really sad thing, is that some won't. Some of you are sitting here right now, 
You're so broken in your pride that you're unwilling to see the King Jesus look you in the eyes and say, I love you. Be mine. And you'll just walk away and say, it's just too harsh. But for those of us in Christ, for those of us that have uttered those same words as Peter in our own way, where else will I go? You have life. For those of us in Christ, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast that we have the whole, hold fast our confession, sorry. Hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful like Hebrews 10 tells us. If you hope in the resurrection, you hope in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the realization of hope. We have the full assurance of what is going to happen in the ultimate victory in Christ for all who believe in him. Build your life on this certainty. Feast on our king. If you think about it, this should really cause us to live differently. Uh, one, one scholar says it this way. He says, if Christ is still dead, death reigns and all our joys are in vain. So hoard everything you can find because whatever you find is all the joy you have to grab. Or as Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But if death is dead and if the dead are raised, if Christ is risen from the dead, brothers and sisters, let us feast and celebrate for the dawning light of our inextinguishable and inexhaustible eternal purposes and pleasures have broken into the darkness, offering us a life of joy in Christ that cannot fade or rust or ever be stolen away. Let us feast. I can't think of a better way to end this teaching than for us to partake of the bread and juice in faith that symbolizes Jesus' work on the cross. And so we're going to take some communion. If you don't have it, you're welcome to grab some. In doing so, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being nourished spiritually by the body and blood of Christ, our bread of life. Think about it. When you come to these elements, when you take of these elements, you're, you're proclaiming that which you have already stated, which is that your life is in Jesus, that there is no life apart from Jesus. May this not be lip service for us. May this not be something that we just do as we go through the motions, but instead, may we realize and recognize that, that Jesus has come. He lived that perfect life. He died that horrific death for the joy that was set before him so that he could be buried and resurrected so we could say, stop looking for the living among the dead because we too have life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said to the disciples, this is bread, this is my body, take and eat, this is my body. Likewise, he took the cup. And so this is the blood of my new covenant. Drink this, my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. I would encourage you as the band comes up,
I'm going to pray here in just a second. I would encourage you to answer this question. Who is Jesus to you? And if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I like the idea of Jesus, but I have never surrendered my life. I don't care how much you look the part to the people around you. There is nothing more satisfying and joyful for anyone to hear than I fully surrender my life to Jesus. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I, I thought I did it early on, but really I realized I was in close proximity. I was that person that ran when the trials got hard. I was that person that when, I, when the teaching pushed into my life a little bit too far, I wasn't willing to die to myself. Then answer it right now. Grab someone, sit, brought you, sit next to him, grab, go pray with someone. If the Lord is leading you to pray with someone, then go pray with someone. If you are needing to drop on your face before the Lord in confession, then do so. If you're needing to stand in adoration and praise because he is risen, then do so. But no, you, you, you do it to our king who is alive, who is preparing to take the Lord's Supper with us again in eternity, in the resurrection, when we too will have newness of life. Resurrected bodies that are not wasted away. And so I would encourage you to, to spend time in prayer. Don't waste another minute of this vapor of a life because it goes way too fast. We pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for salvation in Jesus. We thank you for resurrection. Um, I can't imagine how, how much it may be lost on me at times, the joy that Peter felt on Sunday. Just after the, the horrific sadness that he probably felt on Friday. God, may we never lose sight of just how profound it is on what you did so that we could be deemed righteous so that we could be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, so we could be standing in the presence of the Most High God. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. God, for those of us in the room or online that have been going through the motions, they wouldn't say they were faking it, but they know. They know that they're just one more difficulty away from running from God. God, would you, would you just wreak havoc with their hearts? Draw them out in the most beautiful way that only you can. God, for those that have been following you for a long time, that maybe had their, their moment, their fire moment where they denied you, like Peter, God, would you remind them that your grace is sufficient? Would you remind them that there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from your love? And God, for, for those that are here today to celebrate because they've been walking in the newness of life, God, would you just refresh our souls, recognize that your mercies are new every single day, that you have a mission and a purpose and a hope for us to live in. And God, I pray that we wouldn't waste a single second of it on ourselves, but instead would give you and your son all the glory. It's in the powerful name of our resurrected King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and